0: Pilate asked him, So you are a king? John chapter 18, verse 37. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The kingship of Jesus, which is the focal point of this festival in the Christian year, the very last of the Christian year, as opposed to the calendar year as we move through uh, into Advent. Um, the kingship of Jesus has some built in ambiguities. Pilate couldn't square what Jesus was saying. So you are a king? Right? That we see in this word of Pilate the recognition that there's, there must be some truth in what you're saying, and I, I wonder how much of it was left. You know, it's interesting to imagine what it would have been like to meet our Lord face-to-face in his mortal and earthly ministry. Um, what sort of... how did he carry himself? We know that he was meek and lowly of heart, but he was also perfect, of perfect integrity, uh, and was to be the king of the, the whole universe. I wonder what nobility of soul Pilate must have recognized. He recognized that there was, there was something to this claim of being a king, but he couldn't figure out what Jesus was saying. Right, so you are a king? And that sort of ambiguity is what I want to tease out first together. On the one hand, um, there's the outward difficulty of pointing to his kingdom. Right? Where is the kingdom of God? Hebrews chapter 2 actually admits this difficulty very honestly. It says, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Jesus. Right? We... We don't yet see part of the kingdom of God isn't visible to the eyes. If in fact the Lord Jesus is king over everything, there certainly are a lot of unruly subjects, right? And I'm not just talking in the church, I mean the whole world. If he's king of the whole cosmos, there's a lot of things in nature and a uh, a lot of humans who are not honoring that kingship. But the fact that there are many unruly subjects doesn't make his kingship less real. And National Geographic um, can't put on a map the borders of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God doesn't have coins or stamps with the face of Jesus on it. So there's a lot of things which we expect from visible kingdoms that we don't have for the kingdom of God. But I would say this, we're not devoid of outward tokens. The strongest witness to the kingdom of God is the church, if you will. Every church building I like to think of as a consulate or an embassy for the kingdom of God. And there are hundreds of millions of people who, with their lips, confess that they are a loyal subject within this kingdom. Every Christian who says, Jesus is Lord, is saying, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. I still think about this sermon that Lincoln preached a long time ago on citizenship and the paradigm that is for Christianity, so there are some visible tokens, but then there's other things which we don't have. Um, there's this sort of ambiguity. What what is the kingdom of God? The ambiguity exists. Jesus tells Pilate, but he doesn't have ears to hear it, right? Because the kingdom of Jesus isn't from this world, or other translations will say, isn't of this world. So Jesus is saying up front, right? There should, it shouldn't actually be confusing if Pilate had faith to say. This kingdom, it's real, but you can't, it's sourced in a place that's invisible with your eyes. Right? Which to a non-Christian sounds absurd. Um, but with faith we can see, oh yeah, right, the kingdom of God. It's this, it spans heaven and earth. It's actually sourced in heaven and is made manifest on earth. That's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, right? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Right? The Lord's Prayer connects us to this two-layered kingdom of God each time we pray it. The kingdom of heaven is rooted in what is permanent and eternal heaven, as opposed to what is shifting and transient here on earth. And Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, only if you've been born again of water and the Spirit can you even see the kingdom of God. And that's why we have this sort of difficulty. Why can Pilate not see what Jesus is talking about? Because he hasn't been born again of water and the Spirit. So we have this thing in our midst, the kingdom of God, the claim that Jesus is king over everything. Um, and yet, we're still looking at the, the world of touch and sight. Um, can't get our arms quite around it. It's sort of slippery to the world of sense. Thankfully, the Word of God reveals things about this kingdom that we can't intuit by ourselves. Stuff that we can't, because we can't touch and say, on a map, here is the kingdom of God. We rely on the Word of God to tell us more about it. So I want to look at just two things, one from St. John and one from the prophet Daniel, um, about how this kingdom of God interacts with worldly kingdoms. And I know we don't have a king in the United States, but by kingdom is meant nation, nation nation-state, empire. I mean, these are synonyms in the biblical worldview in many ways. How does this kingdom relate with the kingdom? How how does the kingdom of heaven relate to the kingdoms of this earth? The Bible tells us two things this morning. And the first is in Revelation chapter one, verse five, where God speaking through St. John says, Jesus Christ is the ruler of kings on earth. This is not the only time we hear this teaching in the Bible, right? This is the sort of capstone summary of something we've heard throughout the Testaments, right? In Proverbs chapter 21, when it says, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord, and like a watercourse, he guides it. Just a little bit later in the exchange between Jesus and Pilate, when Pilate sort of says, don't you know how much authority I have? Jesus says, with perfect calmness, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Paul would say in Romans 13, all authority of government is from God. So in all these different witnesses are saying that the governments, the authorities that are in power um, have been given that authority by God and are actually subject to God's guiding hand. Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth. So no matter how crazy the world, the international political scene may look, whether it's uh, in different eras of history, the Bible says that there is nothing that happens in either US or international politics that God is not ultimately in control of. And this is a faith claim, right? Because the world can look really crazy at certain times. There is not an apparent hand. We can't say, oh, look really clearly, look, here's the hand of God. His hand is moving in a very mysterious way, in something which the human mind can't even comprehend, even using the evils of the governments of the world towards his ends. We see that in his very careful dealing with his people Israel, revealed in the prophet Isaiah, right? That he would use even a wicked nation to do his disciplinary punishment against Israel, but then he would make sure that nation gets punished for their sins too. He is working. He is the ruler of kings on earth. Nothing, I feel like sometimes the the news cycle can leave the impression that it's all just chaos out there, and in many ways it appears that way sometimes. But the scripture says Jesus Christ is the ruler of kings on earth. He will guide all things in some mysterious way to his ultimate purposes, and we know that As sort of, you know, we see sort of these layers of accountability between levels of government here on earth. Similarly, all leaders, they have a higher leader who they will be accountable to as well. The great take home, the great comfort of this truth that Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth, right? This is what we mean when we say king of kings, right? This isn't just a nice phrase, it means take all the most powerful leaders that have ever existed, Jesus is the king of all of them. He's the King of kings. The comfort of this is that the Bible is, I would say, inviting, but it's actually commanding. It's saying we we shouldn't be over anxious about things that happen in the realm of politics and nations and rulers and authorities. We shouldn't be over anxious, whether we like it or whether we don't, whether whatever happening um, Whoever is building nukes, or sending spies, or hacking whoever, or controlling Congress, I mean, all this stuff, which could cause anxiety. And from a fleshly standpoint, if you would. The Scripture is saying, Jesus is in charge of this world. He is the ruler of the kings on earth. And there's comfort to us in that. Christians, of all people, could be characterized by a sort of peace and stability in the midst of changing world events, more than any others. So that's what I think we get from from John, is comfort and, and a call to not be over-anxious about politics and, and national doings. The second thing I want to tease out about how the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this earth relate comes from our prophet Daniel. Um, just that I couldn't miss the aside to point out here, um, In the Gospels, what is the title that Jesus uses most regularly for himself? Son of Man, right? But it's not just Son of Man, right? It's the Son of Man. He always says the Son of Man, um, which is the phrase just Son of Man just means human. It's kind of a standard way of referring to a human being. But the phrase the Son of Man is not a standard phrase. And when we look at the whole witness of Scripture, what it seems to be clear that Jesus is doing, in Daniel, we heard about this one like a son of man who would be given a kingdom and would sort of share this authority fully with God and have a lot of the characteristics of God, in fact, would be God, right? This son of man who comes. um, When Jesus says he is the son of man, what he's saying is that one prophesied in the book of Daniel, you know, he was saying, that's me, the son of man. The one who will be the ruler of all. Okay, that's the end of the aside. Um, what Daniel says is, is uh, it's fully consonant with the vision we see in the later chapters of Revelation. That all the kingdoms of this world, every single last one of them, will ultimately be brought low and crushed. All rulers will be then held accountable for their deeds. Um, one of the things, you know, when you read the book of Daniel or the book of Revelation, um, we see a lot of things about beasts, right? Um, in Daniel, it gets these visions of four beasts and then two beasts. And in Revelation, we get the beast from the sea and the lesser beast. You know, we get all these beasts. Um, beasts in Daniel and Revelation always signify powerful empires, powerful nations. That's what the beasts are. And we see in Daniel the same thing as we see in Revelation. Daniel chapter 7, verse 12. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So he's saying, like, nations will still exist until history is over, until the Lord comes back a second time and remakes everything and makes everything perfect. We will still have the operating structures of nations and kings, um, but they do not have the ultimate authority. They are now subordinate to the ultimate authority, Jesus Christ. And this prophecy that all beasts will be crushed, um, we've seen it vindicated many times now from where we stand with this happy vantage point of history, right? Whoever thinks about the Hittites or the Assyrians, who are arguably the greatest empire there ever was. The Greeks, the Roman Empire, Charlemagne's empire, the Persian Empire, the Ottoman Empire, and the British Empire. Had to throw that in there as well. But all of these were great powers, right? With enormous militaries, like unfathomable quantities of wealth. I mean, you ask anyone in their day, is this going anywhere? They would say, oh no, this is here to stay. But history has shown that God's word is true, that all powerful nations get brought low. It's just a matter of time. So um, St. John is saying, in terms of the interaction of the kingdoms, he's saying, I think calling us to not be over anxious, and Daniel and the later chapters of Revelation are calling us to not be over allied. What I mean is that um, to recognise that we are called as stewards to care for the place God has put us, for the land, for the nation, to seek sort of the well-being of our neighbours. Like this is these are good and healthy callings, called by God. But to recognize that when we're investing in the world of kingdoms of this earth and politics, we're investing in something not finite. Sorry, not infinite. We're something finite, something temporal, an investment that will not last forever. Unlike investment in the kingdom of God, and by that I mean investment in our life with God and our life serving each other and sharing the good news, all the aspects of the Christian life, which will have eternal dividends, Investment in politics and the news and these things, they won't have eternal dividends. And it would only be... Only a fool would put all his hopes on a ship that we, we have been told is going to sink. Right? No one's going to put his greatest treasure on the Titanic as it sent, sets out from the poor. And I think similarly, to make sure that our hopes are set in the right place, that we're looking for a kingdom that's from above. We're not looking for salvation. Or even... S- even ultimately for the provision of worldly goods from the kingdoms of this earth we look to the great high king the king of kings daniel is calling our eyes there to the thing that will endure endure the, the kingdom of the son of man listen to what daniel says verse 14 to him which is a prophecy is seeing jesus to jesus was given dominion and glory And a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed." Daniel's drilling it in three times. Everlasting, will not pass away, will not be destroyed, in contrast to all the kingdoms of this earth. So, Let's heed these prophecies of Daniel and of Revelation and not be over-allied, over-invested in the kingdoms of this world. Let's not be over-anxious about all that happens with them. That's what St. John is calling us to. Instead, let us be chiefly preoccupied, chiefly invested in the kingdom that is mostly unseen, the kingdom of Jesus. I'd even say, let's pay more attention to the news in this kingdom, right? There is no media outlet as such. um, But I think about all the places in the New Testament where Paul says this sort of very mystical invitation, you know, figure out what pleases the Lord, right? Like sort of lean in your ear to listen. So what's what's God doing in your life, in the life of your family and in this community? Let's try and listen for that news and to pay attention to that. And lastly, I want to say, you know, as people who sort of, in a way, we have a foot in both planes, right? We live as human beings, as citizens of this country, and um, taxpayers, um, we, have, we do have a foot planted in this world, but we also have a foot planted um, in the world to come, in the kingdom of Jesus. And the visible will always be tempted to take more of our loyalty than it should. And one of the reasons that we have liturgy and ha- gather regularly, one of the reasons I think God instituted such a thing, is sort of to lean back always on that other foot, to sort of renew our loyalty at the banqueting table of the King of Kings. I love this frontal. This is the table of the King of Kings. And we are citizens in this kingdom. And we, when we eat at this table, we remind ourselves, and we actually sort of, in a more lively way, participate in the reality of our our home, our true kingdom with Jesus in heaven. Amen.